Chris Tire Information Whiskey, 2153 Zulu. Wind, 0605. 0606 Mike Juliet, this is Archer Radar Contact. Hazardous weather information from Minnesota available on flight service frequency. You've dialed in the Flying Midwest Podcast. Connecting aviators from across America's heartland. Sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, we're joined by AOPA's Regional Manager for the Great Lakes Region, Kyle Lewis. He talks to us about the advocacy done by AOPA, what's going on in our region, and what we can expect from AOPA in the future. And as always, news, information, and events from around the region. With some friendly hangar talk along the way. So strap in, and let's take off into this episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What's up, guys? Hello, Trevor. Hello. What the hell was that? Oh, Maddie that was keeps a yawn. saying that how was tired she is. Ill-timed. Yeah, I warned you. You warned me. Okay. Yeah. All right, for all of you listening out in podcast land, we're doing this a little bit later than we normally do, so bear with us if this is a really um, fun and exciting and choppy introduction segment. Well, you know why that is, right? Because we're tired? <laughs> is this because you were flying for like 17 hours today? It wasn't maybe that many, but it was a lot. It was a lot. Lost 100 miles an hour because our airplane is calibrated miles an hour, not knots. Well, you sent that I... message earlier today saying you're going 150 miles an hour, right? Yeah, I was going 150 <laughs> miles an hour. And then I turned around and I then was you turned around. 50. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you sent that, I'm like, oh, there can only be but one outcome to this. He eventually has to come back. <laughs> yeah. So brag all you want right now, buddy, because I know what happens <laughs> on the flip side of this. <laughs> It's yeah, the fastest really? this 150 has ever gone. But probably nice. not the slowest. <laughs> no, I've made it go slower. So it, was, it took me two and a half hours to get to where I was going, and it took me, what are the balance of 8.2 hours is to come back. It's wow. too late for any of us to try to do math, but someone in podcast yeah. land just did it and went, God, what a bunch of idiots. That was super easy math. <laughs> <laughs> I did a 1.6 today. That was literally it. It was pretty boring. Actually, it wasn't boring. It was with one of my favorite students. So, so it was boring. No, he's almost a solo. I'm excited. He's the last one of my four of my nine original because I got to keep four that needs to solo, and he's like basically there. And there I'm excited. Go. I'm really happy. Sweet. Yeah. Is there any active aviation for you, Jim? Um, no. <laughs> Not even Anyways, reading books. Steady. I've been doing some study. Well, then, isn't that not an active aviation? I, I think I got like an hour and some change in like two weeks ago. So not much acts of aviation for me, mostly on account of my family having the Rona. Um, and I have escaped it once again. Nice. So I have apologized on that other little podcast I do because the production schedule for both of these podcasts is screwed right now. 
um, as far as me getting things out on the days I want to get them out. So everyone listen to this podcast. I'm sorry that the timing is off because I want to release these on Mondays and it isn't working the way I want it to. So Jim slacking. That's why a little bit. Yeah. What's in the episode today? So I fibbed to everyone, not intentionally. Um, it was more <laughs> like a change of plan. Um, in our last episode, we talked at the end of that episode about bringing on um, John Zimmerman for Sporties. Well, there's a change of plans. Uh, we haven't actually got a chance to interview him yet, but we did get a chance to interview one Mr. Kyle Lewis with AOPA. He is the Great Lakes Regional Manager. I, I'm really tempted to say assistant to the regional manager. Like oh, my office. God. I wasn't going to say it, but now now you have to because that's just, so funny. Well, I just did. So we're going to have two episodes with him, one now and one later. Um, the first episode being more of a update on what AOPA is doing in the region and nationally on a lot of different topics that affect pilots like us. So we'll talk to him in a little bit. I'm hyped. Me too. It was a really good conversation. So I'm excited for everyone to listen to that and hear what AOPA is up to and what your dues go towards. Not to spoil anything. It's very impressive. And it was a really good time. He's a good guy. So I learned a lot. Well, before we learn some more, do we have any news or events that we need to jump to? Gosh, do we? <laughs> I think the first thing we can talk about is, I, we were going to talk about it as we chit-chatted, but this is a good segue into it. Um, the weather here in Minnesota and probably parts of the Midwest kind of sucked last week. Would you say it's frightful? The weather outside was frightful. Yes, under that effect. <laughs> So with that, let's jump over to um, some news from the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, where the high winds and the direction the winds were coming from caused MSP to have to use, quote-unquote, a unusual runway for them. Um, and hundreds of flight operations were actually canceled in the area. In fact, nearly 400 flights were canceled on Wednesday morning as a winter storm swept across the state. This caused the tower to have to shift its traffic operations from the two more common parallel runways to... Runway 4, which was really strange because I was out at Fort Snelling and watching all the departures and all the departures of all the aircraft shaking the roof. What's unusual about it, 13 times in total in all of 2022 did they use that crosswind runway, uh, runway 422. The question that I have, though... What's that? Do those times they used runway 422 include the times that, you, that Delta took off using the A3... 50 or the uh the triple seven they used to use it for the seven fours when they when they took off for the burrito sure. runs and amsterdam and whatnot did you say burrito runs <laughs> i want to go on a burrito run no i didn't say burrito runs a burrito oh i just wanted burrito. to hear i just wanted to hear Japan. burrito got food on the brain tonight <laughs> that that makes way more sense than what i was thinking go ahead trevor <laughs> but i mean the, does 422 really do those times that they've used it for mass amount of aircraft include the departures for Delta? Well, unfortunately, this article doesn't tell me that. So um, I don't know. If anyone's listening that has an answer, shoot us a message and we'll talk about it on our next episode. How about that? That sounds like a good time. That's fair. So staying in the Twin Cities, you guys remember the Super Bowl and the no. unidentified flying object over Lake Huron? Well, apparently Minnesota's uh, 148th fighter wing, the F-16s that were based out of Duluth, intercepted this unidentified flying object over Lake Huron as part of a federal mission. They uh, they originated from, even though they're from Duluth, they departed from Madison, Wisconsin to intercept. Pentagon officials say that the object was shot down over Lake Huron after it was first detected over Montana Saturday evening. It was originally thought to be an anomaly, 
radar then detected the object again over the peninsula of Michigan just before the jets shot it down. So kind of think where it was today. Well, I'm glad it wasn't you. Over UP <laughs> Michigan. I wasn't that high, though. Kudos to the 148th, even though it did take two missiles to take it down. Uh, they, we don't talk about them. Performance anxiety. <laughs> okay. I feel like we don't talk about Nebraska very much. Well, let's have at it. All right. So this week in Nebraska, the U.S. Senator from Nebraska recently offered bipartisan legislation to bolster the nation's aviation and aerospace workforce pipelines. So she said that airports and aviation partners across Nebraska are having trouble finding um, mechanics and other technical maintenance staff that they so desperately need. And this bill, she noted, will expand FAA workforce grants and, quote, help more people access the training they need to build a strong career in aviation. I think we all know that the maintenance side of things is drastically underappreciated, understaffed, etc. So this is great news, and I hope this does go through. The Aviation Workforce Opportunity Recruiting Knowledge and Supply Act, also known as the Aviation Works Act, was sponsored on February 9th by U.S. Senator Mark Kelly, with Senator Fisher signing on as the lead original co-sponsor. So, of course, everything has to have a fun acronym. This time it's WORKS. That's exciting. So if this is enacted, this uh, bill would extend the existing federal aviation workforce development programs and provide grants to develop aviation manufacturing and the supplier workforce, according to the text of the bill. This uh, legislation will actually quadruple funding from the current $5 million to $20 million for the aviation workforce development program, which currently supports competitive grants to strengthen this uh, pipeline for both pilots and maintenance technicians. It would also establish two additional grant programs, an aviation manufacturing workforce development program to support aviation manufacturers and institutions of higher education in expanding skills training and education opportunities, and also a sector-based grant program that will create partnerships between employers, labor unions, institutions of higher education, and other community stakeholders to better connect workers with training and employers. Any questions? I don't think so. Thank you, though. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why I asked that. Gosh. I don't know, but it's staying in the podcast. <laughs> this next article we have is probably right up Brian Turner's alley. And this is a really good excuse to bring him up in our podcast for this episode so we can get the <laughs> check mark accomplished for mentioning his name. This actually, when I first saw it, reminded me of something I might actually see on his channel. But this is a legit story. In Illinois, General Aviation Airport is unveiling a new brewery. And they're saying it's the first beer brewed in a General Aviation Airport called the Wheels Up IPA at oh, Southern Illinois Airport, KMDH, which is just north of Carbondale, Illinois. That airport is actually one of the busiest airports in Illinois after Chicago O'Hare and Midway. The owner of the bar actually has another location. Um, they're cyclists by heart. Uh, but as the planning process started for a new terminal at the airport, uh, they began working in development with a group to open a brewery at that location. It was delayed by the pandemic, but finally was opened in May of 2022. Aviators can sample a variety of cocktails and craft brews, and there's also options for lodging and to explore the region, because this should be an overnight trip, not one where you come and grab a beer and then head back home. <laughs> the author of this article from Fly Magazine, um, Amy Wilder, is smart to put a section in the very bottom of this article, a reminder for responsible aviators about FAR 91.17, about flying and being under the influence of alcohol. Um, <laughs> at any rate, it does seem like a really cool thing to go check out. Um, it's right at the airport, so if people want to go hang out, 
Like it's also a place where there's student pilots training all the time. So people can hang out there, watch airplanes all day long, have a cool, refreshing adult beverage, spend the night. And then once the proper amount of time has gone by, then you can fly back <laughs> home. So kind of a cool concept. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Flight Co. Brewery out in uh, Colorado, I think they're a popular spot. I know they're not on, I don't think they're on the airport, but they're very close. I know they're a popular spot for get-togethers for aviators and stuff. It's good that they're somewhere that uh, people in the little bit north can go. There you go. Very. So now we got the news out of the way. What do we have for events, Jim? I have all kinds of events. Oh, yeah. Care to share? I, I do, actually. On March 9th of 2023 at 1130 a.m., join the Iowa Business and Aviation Association for their first quarterly luncheon of the new year. The event will be held at the Des Moines Airport, Kilo Delta Sierra Mike. They'll be joined by Chris Axel from Des Moines Air Traffic Control, who will be presenting great information and answering your questions. This event will be here soon, so to get more information or to register, visit www.iowabusinessaviation.org forward slash events. Next up, on Saturday, March 11th, from 8.30 a.m. till 10.30 a.m., join the Vintage Aircraft Association at the Sky King Airport Identifier 3 India 3, which is just north of Terre Haute, Indiana. They'll be hosting their first of several P-Factor days for the year. This is a bi-monthly pancake breakfast fly-in and will be held rain or shine. Join them for good food and some great hangar flying. More information on their Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash BAA chapter 41. Next up, we swing down to the Harlan Airport in Harlan, Iowa. Where on Saturday, March 18th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., they'll have a chili and soup fly-in. You'll be able to enjoy a sampling of select homemade soups and chilies at this fun fly-in event. The event is put on by 8-Ball Aviation Flying Club. For more information on this event, you can check out their Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash hnr.harlan.ia. Up next, Saturday, March 25th, from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m., join the Nebraska chapter of the Antique Airplane Association, for their first of several monthly burger feeds lasting from March through October through 2023. The event is held at the Hastings Municipal Airport in Hastings, Nebraska. And finally, mark your calendars now as National Stoll comes to Minnesota this summer. They will be at the Isle Minnesota Airport, identifier Mike Yankee 72, from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, July 7th through the 8th of 2023. There'll be a free concert on Friday night as well as a pancake breakfast fly-in and drive-in on Sunday morning, and camping will be available on-site. For more information, you can check out the National Stoll website, which is nationalstoll.com forward slash 2023 season schedule. You're welcome. <laughs> Happy to be in service, Jim. Yeah. So today we're joined by Kyle Lewis, who is the Great Lakes Regional Manager for the AOPA. This won't be in our usual interview format, as we're going to use this time to actually get the scoop on all the things that the AOPA has been working on and that's going on in and around our region. Not only that, he'll talk about a couple of national-level topics as well. The unlighted fuel discussion has been a big topic around the nation. So he'll touch on that a little bit, as well as talk about some events that AOPA has going on. So let's bring on Kyle. Hi, okay. Kyle. So Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on these two episodes of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Really happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Uh, I appreciate uh, you accepting uh, my offer to be on your podcast. <laughs> hey, it doesn't happen too often, so it's pretty exciting. Don't tell people that, Maddie. We're highly popular, and everyone should ask to be on the podcast. We're totally cool with it. <laughs> should we jump into these fast five questions? 
Yes. Let's do All it. Right. Kyle, so I think you know the drill. Um, we ask you a question. You give us your quick gut response to what that question is. Okay. So question number one, what is your personal favorite airport? Personal favorite airport. First flight, North Carolina. Ooh, that's a good one. I would love to get there someday. I have a friend who has flown in there and I'm like, oh, I want to go, <laughs> I want to see. So question number two, in your opinion, who is the best lead character in an aviation movie? If you could pick any aviation movie, your best lead character, who would you pick? Uh, Waldo Pepper from The Great Waldo Pepper. It's a new one. I, I don't know that I know that one. You ever see The Great Waldo Pepper or The Barnstormer? I don't think I, I, saw, the, I saw the plane at Osh. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a great, it's a great movie. Great movie. This has happened before where we asked someone their favorite aviation movie, and I'd never heard of it, and I went and watched it, and they're like, this is a good movie. So I'll add that to the <laughs> list, sir. I appreciate your... Will do. I appreciate your addition to my movies to watch. <laughs> Question number three. Favorite air show or fly-in venue? I will have to say, uh, and, and this is a little work-related, I didn't even know it existed until uh, my time at AOPA, but the Minnesota Seaplane Pilot Association uh, safety seminar weekend uh, up in Brainerd. Wow. Uh, the sea, so it's a big seaplane fly-in. Sure. And it, it's just amazing to see all the seaplanes on the beaches, uh, and, and the venue was great. They're at Madden's uh, on hey. East Coast. That's Very so cool. fun. The things you don't know exist if you don't fly a seaplane. That's exactly right. Question number four. Ugliest airplane you've ever seen. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this is going to take some thought. Um, That's why we ask the hard questions right up yeah. front. Get you warmed so, up. You know, I, ugly, ugliest air, you know, being a helicopter, because all helicopters are ugly. I Do you have one specific <laughs> helicopter? <laughs> I think we can allow it. Okay, at least aircraft you've ever seen. How about that? Any helicopter, your choice. Any I'm helicopter. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What about, I'm going to get very specific here. The Army's pick for their new vertical takeoff and landing helicopter, Sikorsky. Oh, yeah. That thing. Thing. Oh, that the thing not yeah. Osprey? The not yeah, Osprey. The not the Osprey. Osprey. Yeah, yes. let's, let's go with that. Let's go with tilt rotor because that's just I'll just go there. It's not an airplane. It's not a helicopter. It's, it's a five logic. Frankenstein. It's confused. Hey, that's exactly right. That's yeah. a great answer. That's my favorite answer I think we've had in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the hate on helicopters podcast now? No, it's not. I, I enjoy watching helicopters because I think they're, you know, a, a, a modern engineering marvel, but, you know, they just are what they are. I got to agree with you on the tilt rotors, though. Not a fan of those. Yeah. What do I know? All right. Last question. If you could meet and have a conversation with any aviator, dead or alive, who would it be? Howard Hughes. Howard no. Hughes. Have, I don't think we've heard that one before. Have we? No, no we have not. No, I, I'd Mom like was... to know, uh, you know, what other ideas he had, you know, other than what was actually created. Because, you know, whatever is behind uh, what we saw would be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go find him. <laughs> we'll go back and yeah, just go yeah. ding him up. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, thanks for playing along with our fast five questions here are you ready for the the real interview let's go with the, the real interview the questions got easier i think after the the fast <laughs> five when we put you on the spot so so for those not familiar what is the role of the regional manager with aopa oh, so this job the regional manager job um it's it's kind of you are aopa in the region you 
you get really tied in with state aviation associations. Uh, you get tied in with uh, state airport associations. Uh, so those are your airport managers. Um, you spend a lot of time at state houses uh, lobbying, you know, on behalf of general aviation. Uh, that was something that was new to me. And after I got hired, you know, I said, hey, do I go to training to be a lobbyist? And uh, the quick answer was either you have it or you don't. <laughs> uh, there really is no, there is no training um, for that. So I guess I'm doing okay because I'm still here. Yeah, you're still there. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, there's been some interesting, interesting, uh, uh, I won't call them fights. It's more, uh, you know, everything's Debates. a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's politics. Politics is, you know, left left or right, down the middle. Uh, it's kind of a sport when it comes down to it. Uh, there's a lot of egos involved on both sides. You kind of just have to know how to read people, I think is the important part, and kind of look two or three steps ahead onto what you want the end game to be. And then you kind of plot a strategy from there. And, and I don't do it by myself. You know, we have a whole team uh, in Frederick. Uh, at headquarters and also in D.C. We also have an office uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, with a lot of resources to rely upon. So it's not just me, uh, but uh, I, I enjoy that part of it. It's, it's challenging sometimes. Um, I call it herding cats because you don't do anything legislatively alone. And having good state pilot associations or state aviation associations uh, with you or you're supporting them, that's kind of a two-way street. Um, that's how you get things done. And, and believe it or not, uh, politics at the state level, um, it, it's a little more, uh, relaxed in some ways. Uh, it's more accessible for sure. Uh, cause all, all of these state legislatures, they, they have day jobs, right? You know, they're farmers, they're doctors, they're, some are attorneys, they're teachers. Sure. And they truly care about their community and they care about their state. Uh, so they are more than willing to listen, uh, to you if something is bad or if it's good. Uh, so I will give them credit uh, on, on any issue I've worked in the last uh, six years. Uh, I've never had a door closed on me. I'll say that from a, from a state representative. Then we also get uh, heavily involved in airport advocacy, which is something that other associations really don't do uh, as detailed as what we do. We work issues like, you know, Burke Lakefront is a new one that's popped up for me. Uh, the mayor He's a new mayor, young mayor, uh, doesn't know a whole lot about aviation or airports. Uh, he wants to close that airport uh, and put a city park there, you know, as a lakefront revitalization uh, program. Sounds familiar. Yes, yes, very familiar. <laughs> very familiar. Uh, so we've been working, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, you know, a lot of what AOPA does is not, you know, in the spotlight. And I think that's something we could do better. Uh, but at the same time, I think working behind the scenes and making those connections and having those conversations does move the needle uh, more so than showboating or taking the spotlight. Because uh, we work with local industry, you know, local groups, uh, local pilot associations. We stand them up so their voices are heard. So it, it's good to know that AOPA does have that credibility. So that's really where AOPA is very, very, I would say good. Good's not a, the best word, but it's very, it's, it's a lot of leverage. Uh, it's very effective. Well, it is very effective. You look at the the aviation fuel controversy. I mean, yes. you look at California. You yeah. know, going from oh. you know leadless fuel, and now you're looking at you know at least at my local airport, we're looking at 
you know, they're reducing the number of FBOs that are, that are able to sell fuel to three, and we've got like six or seven FBOs on the field. Right. You know, so you get monopolizing and things like that, and, and it's it, and you're right, it's all a political game. So that's actually kind of interesting that you guys are granular, but also big picture. Yeah, we have to be big picture, because what's happening in California, at, at in Santa Clara County, again, I'm not schooled up on all the details, it's not my region, but I, you know, hear the conversations around it. It's a huge safety issue. Uh, that's really where we're trying to make headway with the FAA. Yes, they're bringing in the 94 UL to support the flight training fleet as some transit aircraft, but at the end of the day, it, it's a safety issue. Under low lead, Avgas needs to be made available at that airport. Uh, we feel they're not meeting their grant obligations, their grant assurances. Uh, whether they want to close the airport or not, it's it's a safety issue, uh, bottom line. And the pilots there, we're, we're working with them. Uh, yeah, on a group basis uh, out there at Reed Hillview. Bill Dunn, I know, don't know if you know that name or not, but he was a former uh, AOP vice president of airports and state advocacy for a long, long time. Bill still works with AOPA on a contract basis, and uh, he's working the Reed Hillview issue every day, uh, along with East Hampton in, in New York, uh, with that airport closure slash recategorizing to a private use airport, which has seen some issues there. If these airports can get away with it, and they see they can get away with it, you know, we don't want that tidal wave of airports across the nation saying, well, we can just turn off the pumps and close the airport. There's a couple airports in Wisconsin that we're monitoring pretty closely uh, around the really? Madison area. Yeah. There's been uh, a lot of heat around Middleton, uh, Maury Field, which is just right outside of Madison. It, it's kind of a unique situation there. It's not the airport sponsor, which an airport sponsor is the local unit of government that that assigns the bottom line for the grants for the airport. This is a neighboring town. <laughs> it's a small township called the town of Middleton. So don't be confused with the city of, town of. The town of Middleton has a town administrator who is totally against the airport. And she has been making a lot of noise in recent years, whether it's noise complaints, you know, land compatibility arguments. Uh, and now she's on the bandwagon with, with the lead, you know, and, and the town of Middleton has commissioned two or three studies on lead, which nothing has been found, but we're not here to argue the science because we as an industry know that a little bit of lead is not okay. You know, we want to make that safe transition to an unleaded fuel. Uh, we wanted that for a long time. It's just not a simple, easy thing to do, uh, given the complexities of, you know, the refineries, uh, the blenders, the logistics of getting into an airport. All of the moving parts at the airport, fuel trucks, fuel hoses, uh, the fuel tanks, all the compatibility there. So it, it's truly an industry problem. It's not just blend some fuel and dump it in an airplane, right? Uh, yeah. There's a lot of moving parts to that. Well, I, I think one of the biggest things you brought up, the safety aspect, I was doing some research on, on my airplane and it's got the Autogas STC. Right. What they don't tell you in, oh, it's great, it's great, you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, what does auto gas and mo gas? What's the trade-off? Yeah, you get you get yeah. cheaper gas. There's a trade-off in little Cessna 150s like what I got. You end up with carbice a lot earlier than mm -hmm. what you would with hotter low lead. It's like, well, shoot, I didn't know that. It yeah. wasn't until I started doing research on this. I'm like, there is a big issue. Yeah, it's a great compromise, but people don't know the full ins and outs of of everything that's going to play into that decision. It's not an easy thing to understand, and it's not easy to explain. And even auto gas, you know, uh, there's ethanol, mm -hmm. right, which it has its own bad properties on rubber and gaskets and everything else. So uh, this is not an easy problem to solve, uh, but we all know that Cami, 
they do have that STC. The, you know, their process now is finding a blender to make their fuel. You know, and these blenders want to see more testing, right? They've satisfied the FAA STC process, but now the blenders want testing. And, and there's some other fuel candidates up and coming, uh, Swift Fuels, Christy Acosta, he's saying uh, mid-summer 2023. So this year, he may have an STC or Swift's 100 unleaded fuel. And they're all, they also blend fuel. Uh, that's a little bit of a difference between GAMI and Swift is, yes, Swift is a research uh, company, but they also blend fuel at their plant there in Lafayette, Indiana. And, and they're shipping 94 UL every day. So that's the STC process. And the STC process is kind of privately held, right? It's not subject to FOIA. Uh, now, PAFI, which is the Piston Aviation Fuel Initiative uh, that the FAA is the FAA track, that is more of a uh, transparent process. So all of these blends, which may be, you know, held close by GAMI and SWIFT, uh, would be under public scrutiny, you know, open to public record requests, you know, all their testing would be available. Uh, so there's some financial issues there. Uh, right. But there are still two fuels in the PAFI process uh, with FAA. And that's been ongoing for 12, 15 years. So I, I truly believe uh, just, you know, hearing the conversations and being around it, uh, obviously the EPA has the endangerment finding. My personal feeling is in the next two to four years, we will have a fuel available uh, and that will be available on the market widespread. So... That's at least the hope. Very interesting. Yeah. I didn't know there were several in the works. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely more than GAMI. Uh, even though GAMI is the first to get the STC, there's others to follow. Now, what the market will bear as far as how many fuels will be on the market, that's an industry, whatever it can handle. If there's two fuels, you know, it's going to be the best one that's marketed, the best one that's readily available. You know, shipping it is going to be a, a, a huge logistical thing depending on where it's blended. Right now, Avgas is only blended on the East Coast and West Coast. Uh, there are some differences in the East Coast and West Coast blend of Avgas. I think the East Coast blend has two grams of lead per gallon. The West Coast blend only has one or one and a half grams uh, per gallon. Yeah, and it's also the tetraethyl lead, uh, not to go too doom and gloom, but the tetraethyl lead uh, is only produced uh, in one plant, one factory in the world, and that's Liverpool, England. Uh, and that factory is under a lot of pressure to close uh, for environmental concerns. Uh, aviation is really the only user of tetraethyl lead now. Now, with a new blend of fuel, it could be made right here in the United States. It could be pipelined, perhaps. Uh, Avgas cannot be pipelined because of the lead. So Avgas does have its cons in the uh, infrastructure world. So, oh, sure. You know, now, Gamey's fuel is what they call fungible, very fun word to say, fungible, <laughs> uh, which means it can be mixed with Avgas. You can mix it with Avgas. But then, obviously, at that point, it becomes a leaded fuel, right? Sure. So, but at least the theory is, well, if you have Avgas at one airport and the other has the GAMI fuel or XYZ fuel, uh, you can mix it with the Avgas with no issues. Personally, I've I've mixed um, 94 UL uh, with Avgas in my airplane, and it's been just fine. Well, I suppose there's a whole other issue involving just the tanks at the airports themselves. We'll see how the FAA determines, you know, will they require airports to clean their tanks? They'll go through a cleaning process and then reuse the current tanks. Will there need to be new tanks? There's a lot of questions at the airport uh, operator level as well. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I mean, a lot um, of those tanks have been underground for generations. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to dig up then at that right, point? Right, exactly. Exactly. So, so the hope is... You know, this will be a drop-in, you know, that's the term, drop-in replacement for 100 low lead. Whichever fuel that is, that's the end goal. You know, this is an, a problem industry needs to to resolve. From an aircraft owner perspective, 
what is the biggest takeaway that an aircraft owner should be looking at right now? The biggest takeaway is, you know, most pilots, and, and this is me putting my pilot hat on, I pull up to a gas tank, I just want to, there's gas available that I can put on my airplane. And, the, and that it's at a price point that's not outrageous. Right. Right. That That's what pilots, that's what our membership cares about. I, I'm not sure, some do. I, this is a very general statement. I don't think they really care about the politics behind it. You know, they, they just want to know that AOPA is working on a solution that's going to be a replacement for Hunter Low Lead, and it's not going to cost them an arm and a leg to put it in their airplane. There is an expectation that a new fuel may cost a little more at the pump. It might be like that bell curve, right? There might be an initial cost that's a little higher, and then it could, you know, trim itself down as it becomes more available. But what we've seen from GAMI and even SWIFT is, is saying the same thing, that these fuels are cleaner. They run cleaner than Avgas, uh, which means maybe longer TPO periods on engines. Spark plugs. Who has not had a foul spark plug because you might not leave your power back on on the ground and you foul spark plug? And, you know, maybe you can burn the lead off, maybe not. Maybe you got to throw it away and drop fifty bucks on your spark plug. Sure. You know, geared engines. You know, there's some, still a lot of geared engines out there. Lead builds up in the gearboxes. Lead builds up in the oil tank. Lead builds up, you know, everywhere. So when lead goes away, those problems are to go away. So your might save might be a trade-off. It might not be that dollar per dollar, but in the long term, as you break out the expense of aircraft ownership, uh, you may save a little bit on the maintenance side. To me, that's a pretty big deal as well, saving on the maintenance side, uh, because that cost right now is not going down at all. Yeah. No. No. Oh, definitely. If I could save money at, at the the back end, the maintenance side of things, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm already paying seven seventy a gallon, right, at my local airport. So, oh, did you say seven seventy? Holy cow! All right, sorry. I think it went on. down five cents. I think I think this uh-huh. last weekend it was seven sixty five. There's still technically four out of six suppliers for fuel, but Metropolitan Airport Commission they're they're limiting who's selling fuel. Yeah, they were doing their contracts and things like that. So, I mean, Ugh. can you say price gouging? I mean, that's a topic we could talk about for hours upon hours. But, uh-huh. Oh yeah, we could, we yeah. could, we could uh, burn some brain cells on that. Yeah, but the the unleaded fuel it, it is a it is a top bar priority for AOPA in 2023. Uh, there may be some pathways to um, uh, some fuel issues with FAA reauthorization that we're working on now. So you mentioned reauthorization. Let's talk about that for just a minute. So my understanding is the representative who is in charge of that committee is a general aviation pilot himself. So Representative Stan Graves out of Missouri is now the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chairman, and he is a GA pilot. Uh, he flies a Texan at Oshkosh. Nice. Uh, he, cool. Yeah, he's a really neat guy. Um, I've, I've enjoyed chatting with him uh, the few times I've met him, uh, and I know he is really trying to make a difference for general aviation uh, in this FAA reauthorization package. And I know he's working with all the industry groups on on certain things, whether it's airport-related, aviation-related in general, uh, funding. Uh, there's a lot of things on the funding side with the FAA that need fixed. There has been an upgrade to the AIP funding in over 20 years. Really? Uh, airport, yeah. If, if you're an airport at Nippius Airport, which is in the National Plan of Integrated Airport Systems, uh, there's about 3,300 airports in the United States that receive federal grant dollars. If you're a general aviation airport, uh, which means you don't have commercial service or cargo service, uh, you get entitlement funding every year of $150,000. You can use it for a small project or you can bank that money and you can hold that money back for four years and you have 600K not to put towards a large scale project like a runway rehabilitation, taxiway, you know, whatever whatever eligible project you have. 
So, you know, obviously $150,000 does not go very far. Just to engineer a project, my home airport here in Ohio, they're adding on to uh, a parking lot, not airplane parking lot, a vehicle parking lot uh, with some with some grant dollars. Wow. And just the engineering is going to run is sixty to seventy thousand dollars. Things are not getting cheaper, uh, so the AIP funding needs to kind of bump up and match that. We're looking at, at hopefully some legislation to change that. Other funding and eligibility requirements on on certain things. So that should be introduced. We're hoping sometime next month or April, uh, and it for it to be voted on by September October is kind of the time frame that they're looking at. Yeah. So that's the federal stuff, which I'm not involved in on a daily basis. Uh, but obviously, we do get briefed on it, and when 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 so called, we do help out. <laughs> sure, we need people like you in places like those. So, from here, we're to talk about some of the regional things going on with AOPA, um, and more specifically, your role within that, Kyle. So, AOPA just had a fly-in in Arizona. We did actually. I just returned from Phoenix uh, yesterday. H- huge event. Uh, and this is a little bit different format than we've done our fly-ins in the past. We actually partnered with the city of Buckeye uh, on their airfare, the Buckeye Airfare. Okay. Uh, full-blown air show. They had like a 12-act air show. And then we also had our fly-in in conjunction with that. Now, there are challenges that with having a fly-in and an air show uh, just because of the wavered airspace and, you know, they had air show practice times and, sure. and, and all that. But uh, this was a lot of planning. Uh, we worked with the city of Buckeye probably, I know, at least a year in, in planning this. Um, about a year ago, I was asked internally to help out uh, with our events and outreach staff uh, with our airside operations. Because uh, at all of our fly-ins, AOPA staff members handle uh, all the aircraft movements, the aircraft camping, the parking, uh, the volunteer marshalers. Okay. You know, it's kind of like a little mini air venture. So Tom Zecca, uh, who actually manages our pilot information center, uh, he was in that role for, gosh, 15 or 16 years. Uh, he did our big expos in Palm Springs, uh, all of our fly-ins. You know, he coordinated all of the uh, the airside on that. And just in the last year, I've kind of taken over that role internally with AOPA. So I I, I guess I have a very trusting face. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> So for Buckeye, uh, that was my first uh, show where I was kind of team lead on our air side. And we had um, 500 airplanes wow. uh, come in for the weekend. Yeah, and Friday, I was totally blown away Friday. The winds were like 28 knot, you know, gusting up to 28 on a crosswind. And they only have a single runway at Buckeye. And uh, we had 120 airplanes show up that day. Wow. I was, I was totally impressed. Um you know, it was like, oh man, this is this will be a slow day. Nobody's gonna show up, and we we put 120 airplanes on the airport that day. That's we awesome. actually uh, co- uh, contracted with uh, uh, some retired ATC folks that uh, had an advisory tower, uh, so they treated the uh, the airport like it had a control tower. We have special arrival procedures. If you ever been to one of our fly-ins, we kind of have a, a note on the you know a routing to fly into the airport for uh, yep. mitigation on traffic. Uh, had the same thing at Buckeye. It worked out very well. The city of Buckeye just gave us the numbers, uh, I think yesterday or today, 38,000, I think, uh, for the weekend as far as attendees. Uh, and then we had 500 airplanes. Um, you know, two, three, four people came in the airplanes. 
uh, each time. Uh, campers, we uh, had to close registration on camping because we literally ran out of room. Wow. God. For oh, overnight wow. aircraft camping. Our seminars were packed. Very, very good show uh, for this kind of blended, blended style that we're moving to. Because again, uh, it goes back to, you know, membership and aviation and bringing people into aviation. If we're just going to our members, you know, say, hey, come fly at the XYZ airport. Uh, we're just going to get our members. Sure. You know, so why not go to a community event at an airport uh, and bring the AOPA flavor to that? But, but they've really taken the event to the next level and, uh, you know, maybe some plans in the works to revisit it and go back to it next year and make it a repeat thing. I can't imagine the the positive economic impact that had. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Boy, it's it's got to be huge. It was a really neat experience, uh, and I was glad to be a part of that. So our events going forward, uh, this year um, we're looking at uh, a showcase in Frederick, uh, an aviator showcase, which is an exhibit ball and and maybe a few seminars and things like that. Not necessarily a full-blown fly-in weekend. Uh, I think it's in September. I don't know the exact dates yet. But we're also in conversations with other airports that have some large community, you know, airport events for 2024, kind of like a, a Buckeye, maybe in the eastern region uh, or Midwest even. Also, we will be at Triple Tree uh, in South Carolina. All right. Uh, we are uh, bringing our AOPA Village, which will be kind of a little exhibit hall, some seminars. Luckily there, we're not doing the fly-in part because Triple Tree already does that very well. Okay. So we'll just be doing more of the uh, AOPA exhibits, AOPA seminars. So those are kind of the events uh, lined out for this year. Uh, 2024, uh, there might be, I, I can't speak to any surprises, but there might be a surprise for 2024. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we like surprises. Yeah. yeah. It's always it's always good to have a little mystery, right? Yep. Yeah, that's the finger. Yep, yeah. exactly. The suspense <laughs> yeah. will make people keep listening because we'll, t it won't probably be accurate, but we'll tell them that we'll have an exclusive um, surprise from AOPA. It, again, it you don't have to announce with us, but you know, keep us in mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then people will keep listening. So, yeah, and, and yeah. maybe once plans are solidified <laughs> and things are going to happen, you know, I can definitely come back and and provide some detail. So, love it. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. Oh, was it an agreement to come back? In fairness, hey. Kyle invited himself on the podcast. I, <laughs> I don't have a problem with him inviting himself back. I mean, we're cool with it. Oh, yeah. I've never <laughs> been on a podcast, so. Well, oh. welcome. So some legislative initiatives that have happened in the region over the last, I don't know, year, couple of years. So Ohio, uh, that's my home state. We've literally, since day one at AOPA, uh, I think when I started, I got a phone call from um, Stacy Eaton, who was the Ohio Aviation Association executive director at the time. It, it's a very interesting thing, and I'll try not to get too far in the, in the weeds, but basically uh, tall structure permitting. So wind turbines, cell towers, okay. you know, even even houses or factories are being built you know, near airports. Uh, generally, the state DOT uh, has some sort of permitting process, uh, or it's local zoning or airport zoning or something like that that, that handles that permitting process. Um, the FAA, believe it or not, does not issue permits for that. Uh, the FAA will do a airspace study, and they'll say either it's not a problem, it's an obstruction, or it's a hazard, right? And then they push all that to the locals and let them sort out the spaghetti mess of what needs to happen to actually get that constructed. In Ohio, uh, 
they do have, it's called the uh, Ohio Airport Protection Act. Uh, it was originally passed in the early 90s, uh, based on when cell towers started popping up and, and things like that. Uh, and it, it gener it's generally in line with CFR Part 77, uh, which is the instrument approaches, how those are designed, and all the imaginary surfaces around an airport. Uh, well, a lot of things have changed since 1993. The state DOT, their aviation office, administers that tall structure permitting. Uh, they cannot do their job properly. Even today, they're doing a permitting process, but they don't have legal authority in certain uh, what's considered navigable airspace. Uh, and that is basically anything above 200 feet AGL. Uh, currently yeah. in the state of Ohio, they cannot issue a permit for that. So it's kind of like the Wild West in these little pockets <laughs> of weird jurisdictional suit. And that could impact some airports. So uh, this has literally been ongoing for five years, uh, trying to update this section of Ohio Revised Code. Uh, originally, it was thought, well, it doesn't need to go through the legislative process. It could be an administrative code rewrite, uh, which goes to a joint committee uh, on rulemaking, basically administrative rulemaking. Uh, once they dug into it and realized it was very complex, which it is, uh, they said, no, this should probably be legislated. Uh, well, okay, so that you kind of reset the clock. You know, you have to go back and start ground one, get a bill sponsor, go through the legislative process, all the hearings, uh, you know, amendments, and go through you know, any opponent testimony, which there have been some, obviously. And then you're racing the clock on the session. You know, all the priorities. Uh, so last year, uh, we thought we had it uh, in the state budget as an amendment uh, to, to codify this. And at the last minute, literally, the last minute, uh, they kicked out all of the amendments that were in the state budget. Otherwise, the, the budget wouldn't have been passed in time. Uh, that was kind of a heartbreaker because it was there, it was getting ready to happen, and then it got kicked out. So then we had to start over. You know, that recessed the clock again. So early last year, uh, about a year ago, uh, you know, pretty uh, uh, deep involved in, you know, drafting the correct language. Uh, and, and again, it there were some opponents. So a wind turbine lobby obviously uh, fought pretty hard and, and kind of put up some roadblocks. Uh, and then time ran out of session. Uh, so here we are, early 2023. Uh, in fact, today, it was at the Ohio State House earlier today, uh, meeting with some state representatives that might be interested in sponsoring that bill moving forward. And oh. we, we can't do it alone. That's why we're partnering with the uh, Aviation Association here in Ohio. But uh, it's an inter interesting process. I've learned a lot. You know, the legislative process itself is not complicated to understand because it's all spelled out. Uh, but the sausage making can be very sporty, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah, but it's always good to say, hey, I flew to the state capitol to talk to you about this aviation bill. So what else do you have going on in the Midwest region, or Great Lakes region, rather, um, that we haven't talked about yet? So I mentioned, uh, you know, Burke Lakefront and, yep. and that 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 uh, closure threat. Um, that one, it's kind of been bubbling for about a year since the new mayor got elected. Um, he, the mayor and the city council, commissioned two separate studies. That's what got our attention. Okay. No. So, is, you know, they can write news articles about, well, they want to close the airport, but until there's some action actually taken, um, you know, that that's what our interest is peaked. Um, so the mayor and city council commissioned two separate studies. One, the first one, the regulatory process to close the airport. Uh, and the second, alternative land uses 
of airport property. Did they wait for the first one to come back? You know, no, they didn't. They kind of commissioned them both at the same time. Interestingly enough, they could have just gone to the FAA and said, hey, what do we need to do to close this airport? Rather than waste a couple of $300,000 in taxpayer dollars, um, <laughs> you know, on something they could have been told by the FAA. Um, one of the first no, questions the FAA will ask, and, and this is what I tell our members this whenever they come to us saying, hey, this airport might close. Well, if it's a federally funded airport uh, and it's grant obligated, which means it's taking grant dollars, that airport, depending on the grant, is obligated for a period of time to remain open as an airport. Now, if the airport has taken grant dollars to purchase property to expand the footprint of the airport or to remove obstructions, um, then that airport is obligated in perpetuity, which lamest terms is forever. Yes, there are legal ways around that, uh, but it's expensive to do to close an airport. One of the first questions the FAA will ask, how will this benefit aviation by closing this airport? Generally, that's a question that cannot be answered in a suitable fashion to the FAA. In the case of Burke Lakefront, uh, a little bit of a difference between Chicago Megs. Megs Field was not, not grant obligated. Okay. Uh, so, Interesting. yeah, there was not a lot of leverage that the FAA actually had there uh, to say, no, you can't close the airport, uh, even though Mayor Daly bulldozed it up in the middle of the night. Probably not the best or smartest thing to do, obviously. Uh, but I think Cleveland, they're not going to do that. Um, they realize that they can't do that. So I think uh, after talking to folks in Cleveland, kind of reading between the lines and these studies, I've had conversations with the mayor's staff. My opinion, they're looking for some political top cover to walk away from the conversation. Um, they realize it would be a steep uphill climb, a very expensive uphill climb uh, to close that airport. And aside from that, it's built on a trash dump. Uh, environmentally, there's really nothing else they could do for the property. In fact, sure. the deed wow. of the property says it's going to be one of two things, a trash dump or an airport. Did we talk about Detroit City? Uh, not yet. No, we can talk about that real quick okay. if you want. Let's have that. Um, so Detroit City, uh, so that airport has been under closure threat for years. Uh, it, that was an issue way back even before I started AOPA, you know, mid-2000s mid, mid 2000s, uh, popped up. The airport has been neglected. I don't know if you've ever been to the airport, uh, but it's literally in the worst zip code in Detroit. Uh, it sits between six and seven mile road, if that gives you any idea. But I tell you what, there's some great people there. Uh, we have a, a ASN volunteer, uh, Yul Kenzie. Uh, he's been the heart and soul of the airport advocacy efforts at that airport. Um, totally impressed. The first time I met Yul, uh, we talked, you know, a couple times a month about what's going on at Detroit City. The new mayor at the time, uh, Mayor Dugan, uh, kind of the same story. Hey, this airport, it's rotting away. Let's use it for something else. You know, let's let's make that a, a bigger vision of land use for the for the city. And and the airport had not taken any federal grants. In fact, their grants were going to expire fairly soon. And there were our members based there. There were community. The community loved the airport. Uh, it had been there since the 1920s, 1929, I think. It's been there a long, long time. Tuskegee Airmen have a museum there. 
Uh, there was uh, Davis High School, had a flight school there for a long, long time. Uh, he was part of that community. And uh, Yul Kinsey, along with other interested parties, tenants at the airport, uh, they put together a local support group, the uh, Coleman A. Young Detroit City Airport Education Association. Uh, they got a hold of city council. Uh, you know, the, the two wards uh, that the airport sat on, uh, the city council that came together, um, and totally uh, got it. It's it's rare when a politician, a local politician, understands the value of that airport. And, uh, I mean, they pushed for it. Uh, they got the mayor. Finally, the mayor realized that, you know what, this airport's probably worth more as an airport to the city of Detroit than bulldozing it and making it a warehouse. So the last couple of years, uh, this was all kind of during covid the airport did not have what's called an airport layout plan, which is an ALP, uh, which is basically the 10-year planning document for the airport. Those are the projects the FAA is going to pay for. They came up with an airport layout plan uh, that the state DOT would accept and the FAA would accept. And it's going to be roughly $100 million worth of investment in the next oh. 10 years. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. Huge, huge win. Uh, a lot of work. You know, give a shout out to Yul Kinsey, uh, Keith Newell, David Tarrant. You know, they work tirelessly locally to educate everybody on this airport. They're going to install EMAS at both ends of really? the primary runway. They're going to extend, uh, I think, the runway either 400 or 700 feet. Now, there is kind of concession. We're not exactly cheering about this, but the crosswind runway uh, has the potential to become decommissioned at some point in the future. Uh, but overall, for the sustainability of that airport and the investment they're going to get, you kind of, you have to make a compromise somewhere. And sure, it's the crosswind runway. Now that that property will be used for aeronautical development. You know, new T hangers, maybe some new corporate hangers. Okay, maybe a new FBO. I think they're going to try to have uh, you know ARFF, uh, maybe even a training facility uh, there. So there is some aeronautical use potential for that property down the road. Uh, so there's a lot of positive things to come out of this. You know, AOPA, obviously, we're a membership base, but when it comes to these airport advocacy issues, it, it's it's a local fight. Uh, we will support you any way we can. I made several trips to Detroit, you know, for early morning breakfast with city council and, and with the city council meetings and, and, you know, gave the national perspective on airports. You know, why is it a bigger discussion than just Detroit? Sure. Uh, and that's why I was there. Uh, but the locals, you know, the users of that airport, they are the ones that made the difference. And all the credit goes to them on this one. Well, Jim, is it that time? It's absolutely that time. It's the time. <laughs> I feel like you might know what the question is going to be because you've listened before. But um, we're curious if you have an unpopular aviation opinion. I learned to fly at a Part 141 flight school. pretty structured, uh, but I had a really good instructor. And one thing they kind of pounded in my head from the beginning is ramp etiquette. This is how you move an airplane on the ramp. This is how you park an airplane on the ramp. Uh, this is how you walk around other airplanes. I've seen it quite a bit. Somebody will start up, you know, on the tie down spot and just sit there and sit there. And then they do their run up on the tie down spot. Oh. And, and then, mm -hmm. you know, it's just all this stuff where they park, you know, they'll swing around a park right in front of a door to the FBO. You know, they'll start up right there and go full throttle and then stuff goes everywhere or they park next to another airplane and blast it with prop wash. I, I just don't think 
instructors take the time to teach students kind of the basics of ramp etiquette, how to move the airplane around on the ramp, you know, be very conscious of where they're at. You know, it's a safety thing too, you know. Mm -hmm. There's not enough focus on the very basics of being around airplane. So that, that's kind of my aviation pet peeve. And tail wheels do make you a better pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well placed, well placed. Noted. Um, you know, we've done a few of these now, and, you know, I haven't heard that one yet, but, man, now that you say it, I think you're absolutely onto something there. Because, I I mean, I've yeah. seen it myself at various airports, not not so much where I'm at, because we've got, you know, it's just rows and rows of hangers, but, you know, some other airports I've gone to for, you know, your $100 hamburger or a quick uh -huh. morning breakfast, and, yeah, there's some people who just have no idea how to function around other aircraft. They really don't, and it's not necessarily you know a younger crowd. You know, I've seen you know maybe it's the older older generation. They're like, oh, I'll do whatever I want. Nobody's here. Nobody maybe. Cares. You know, I, I just think it's a um, approaching it in a lackadaisical way. You're not even parking in the yellow you know T spot on a tie down. Oh even yeah. If you're not going to tie it down. I was always taught, no matter what you're flying, be professional about it. Yep. yep. You know, represent aviation, whether you're flying a 747 or a 152. You know. Treat it like it's your profession and that everybody's watching. That's kind of how I was taught. Do I do it perfect every time? No, but I try. And uh, sometimes I just see people not even trying. They hop out of the airplane, you know, and it's all par parked, uh, whopper jawed, you know, on the on the tee. And then somebody can't get it next to them. And it's a small yep. ramp. And then somebody's over in the grass. And it's just, it just doesn't make for a fun experience. What in your experience is like the worst offender, not type of pilot what action or lack of action has like the worst impact or bothers you the absolute most out of everything um well so so a couple things i think just in general uh, operating on the ramp right you know don't don't waste a bunch of time i know some airplanes you got to wait for certain things and all that but don't start up in the in the tie down area and sit there for 15 minutes you know programming everything you know uh Go, go to the pull-off area and do all that. You know, taxi up, you know, do what you can, you know, in the tie-down area to get rolling. Pull, you know, if there's a pull-off area, go do it there. Kind of just expedite things. So, okay. so, yeah, just ramp etiquette in general. I like that. I can latch on to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have my students do their pre-takeoff list in the run-up area. Yeah. They're all like, it's pre-takeoff. It's just before takeoff. I'm like, yeah, we'll be taking off after this. You can yeah, sit here, here and do it. Yep. All right, Kyle, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us about what's going on with ALPA around the Midwest and Great Lakes region. Um, it's been great having you, and we really look forward to bringing you back for the next episode where we talk more about you. Well, more about me. I'm not that interesting, but I really appreciate the time. Uh, it, it's been great. I uh, haven't done a podcast before, so this has been a good experience for me. I won't give up my day job to go into uh, <laughs> podcasting, uh, but I, I think I do now need a fancy microphone. You probably do. You know? But no, seriously, it's been it's been a privilege uh, to be able to communicate through you guys to our membership that might be listening, um, and, and I can't stress enough about the foundation, AOP Foundation, and uh, please remember that. And again, if anybody hearing this has any specific questions, legislative uh, airport adv advocacy. Uh, you can put up a link to to my page on the a AOP website, and uh, be more than happy to chat with you. So, 
Awesome. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. So we had a really great conversation with Kyle. I hope that you took away as much as we did from that conversation. He's a really great guy to talk with and very knowledgeable on all things going on with AOPA. So hope that you enjoyed that. Well, I know I speak for all of us when I say we are absolutely thrilled that we got to speak to him, not once, but twice. So stay tuned for our next episode, which will also feature Kyle, and we get to talk to him a little bit more. If you like the Flying Midwest podcast and would like to support us, you can jump on any of those platforms where you listen to the Flying Midwest podcast and leave us a rating or a review. Uh, that helps get our podcast out to other listeners, um, as well as sharing it with others. You have friends, right? Go share it with your friends. Peer pressure. Peer pressure them into listening to our podcast. <laughs> listen, have you listened yet? Have you listened yet? Maddie, no. have you listened yet? Maddie. <laughs> Maddie. Stop. I'm being peer pressured. That was the idea. Now, you all do that with all of your friends. We'll have so many more listeners. So as we wrap up this episode, if you have any ideas for future episodes of the Flying Midwest podcast, or you or someone you know would like to be a guest, you can reach out to us on any of our social media or contact us at flyingmidwestpodcast at gmail.com. Also buy our merch. Who's going to say this thing? Until next time. See ya. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest Podcast. Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day.